Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're heading off to Cornwall to learn about the poet Charles Causley. Causley was a school teacher, a writer and most notably a poet. He was born in 1917 and died in 2003. His peers in the 1970s regarded his poetry to be on par with the likes of Ted Hughes and John Betjeman. Our guest is Nicola Nuttall, who is the acting director of the Charles Causley Trust, a registered charity that preserves Causley's legacy by creating opportunities for writers and communities to develop and connect through a programme of residences, competitions and events. One of those events is the Causley Festival of Arts and Literature, which takes place in Launceston in Cornwall from July the 29th to the 31st of July via a mixture of in-person and online events. Anyway, let's let Nicola explain. Welcome, Nicola. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so perhaps in your own words, can you describe who Charles Causley was? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You've given a really good introduction to him already, actually. Um, he was born and spent the majority of his life in Launceston in North Cornwall. Um, Launceston, for those of you that don't know, is a very historic town. We've got a, an amazing Norman castle um, that looks out across the whole of the landscape. Um, a real mixture of historic properties. I think we have something like 225 listed buildings um, in and around Launceston. It's surrounded by a lot of arable and mixed farming um, land, beautiful river valleys, beautiful rolling Devon and Cornwall valleys because Launceston's right on the on the border. And the reason for explaining that is part of the location is what made Charles the man that he was. He grew up here um, in the lower part of Launceston, which was a very industrialised area. Um, as you said, he was born in 1917 and his father was away in the First World War fighting in France and unfortunately was very badly injured um, in the First World War. And when he came home, he was invalided out um, and couldn't actually work and died just a few years later when Charles was only seven. So it was instrumental that he was brought up by his mum and he was an only child. And the relationship that he had with his mum, Laura, um, was, I would imagine, sometimes quite claustrophobic for both of them. They were very dependent on each other. But at the same time, it was a very nurturing relationship. And they actually lived together for the whole of Charles's life um, and until his mum died um, in the 1970s. And living in and around Launceston, um, he knew many people. He knew how it all worked. He knew the landscape. He knew the environment really well. And he used a lot of those influences in his writing. But really interesting, you, you mentioned there, Richard, um, that initially he was actually a musician. That was really his, his first love. Um, and just before the Second World War, he um, wrote, started to write plays that were actually taken up by the BBC. And this is quite a big thing for a guy who really had gone to, to local schools. He'd left school at 16, um, 15, 16, to go and work in a local business. Um, but he still did have this creative streak that he was growing and developing a lot as time went on. 
when he went away into the war, into the Navy in the Second World War, he became a coder, which was a new role within the Navy. And he said that that was the time when he realised about the rhyme and the rhythm and the pattern of poetry. And poor guy was dreadfully um, seasick the whole time. I can think of nothing worse than being in the Navy and being terribly seasick. And being a coder, you can imagine he was really concentrating on messages coming in and so on. Um, but he used to have a book next to him where he would jot down bits of poetry in between the messages coming through. And Charles Causley, after the war, returned to Launceston and took up the opportunity to go and do teacher training at a college in Peterborough in the east of England. Um, came back to Launceston after doing his training and then taught as a primary teacher in local schools until he, he retired. But throughout that time, he was developing um, his skill of poetry. He was mixing with poets. And for those of you that do know where Launceston is on, or, or look at it on a map, a lot of people stop off in Launceston on their way further west down into Cornwall. And I think that happened quite a bit with Charles as well, so that he was kind of a a real linchpin with, for, for lots of writers and creatives and, and artists who would stop and visit him on the way. And I think that also influenced a lot of his um, creativity as well. So the, how would you describe his legacy? It sounds like you're going to say that it's very much a Cornish legacy. I think he's very much seen as a Cornish poet and he's often... Um, branded is perhaps too strong a word, but branded as a um, somebody who 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 dealt in kind of ballads. And there was a you know there's been lots of conversations and 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 discussions around whether that was really connected with his musical background as well, and that's how he he expressed himself. But if you look at his poems, sometimes people will say that his writing is very simple, very simplistic. Others will say that he was a very strong Christian poet. Um, others will say that that you can't categorise him because he's got such a variety of of writing styles. But in terms of his legacy, you know, we're, we're really looking about at a guy who was instrumental in 20th century poetry. He was good friends with Ted Hughes, with Sylvia Plath, with um, he knew all, you know, really good friends with Jack Clemo. The, the list kind of goes on with with creative circles that he mixed with. I think he was very influential in, in their work as well as his own. Um, I think his legacy to Launceston um, is the pride that is still felt in Launceston by the fact that he lived here, he carried on living here, even when he was a famous poet. And he, apparently the, when other poets had to put forward who they wanted to be the next poet laureate, Ted Hughes and Philip Larkin both put him down, Charles Causley down as the next poet laureate. But Charles was a very private man, um, and it was when Ted Hughes actually got the Poet Laureate chip. Um, and if you look at the two of them together, Ted Hughes was obviously a very flamboyant, very larger-than-life character, where the char where, whereas Charles was a much quieter, more retiring chap. And I think they, they kind of agreed between them, or Charles pretty much said, I think you'd do a better job than than I ever could. So I think he is Cornish. He does write about Cornwall, but he writes about a lot more. There's a, there's big elements within his writing about his time in the war. And there's often lots of references to war in the language that he uses within poetry as well. So those of you that know the poem Timothy Winters, which is one of his most famous children's poem, poems, 
um, there's, there's imagery in there like um, teeth like splinters, a blitz of a boy is Timothy Winters and so on. Fabulous poem and the rhyme and the rhythm within it is, is amazing. But you also look at, there's a lot of reflection in his work as well. Quite a lot of spirituality with a, a big and a small S. Um, people question how strong a Christian he was. And he did say that he lost a lot of his faith in the war and afterwards. But I think he was quite a spiritual chappy. And so there's quite a lot of work that reflects on life, afterlife, religion and so on as well. So really, if you think right. about um, a legacy, it's what you want to find, what you're looking for in Charles in terms of what writing you're you're looking for. But he was a fab, an absolutely fabulous poet, I have to say. Right. There's a, there's a website called Poetry Archive, and it's got about six there or is. seven recordings of him reading his poetry. So I took a listen yesterday and I thought it was conversational or simple. It was easy to understand, a touch folksy. I mean, how would you describe mm. his poetry? I think that's quite a good description, but there's, there's, there's a lot of different types of poems that he wrote. So the ones that are on the Poetry Archive website um, are some of his most popular ones, which tend to be the easier listening, the easier reading, the ones that um, kind of hit a, hit a chord, if you like, or strike a chord. Um, some of them are a lot deeper than that. Some of them, um, you know, you, you need to have had a good breakfast to start off to read them, you know, because they, they take quite a bit of wading through. He's often seen as a children's poet. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but we we have some of his, his um, archive here, but some of his archive is also in the University of Exeter's special collections. Um, and when you see the corrections in his notebooks, you can see the process that he went through as well. And just reflecting back on the poetry archive, I've got a lovely story for you, which I think is is just sums Charles up really. He was a big cat lover and he had a, um, his last cat was called Rupert, a lovely ginger cat called Rupert. And when Charles finally went into a nursing home for the last few years of his life, Rupert went to live with a friend of his who lived locally in Launceston. And when the poetry archive um, was being recorded, they went to this chap's house to do the recording rather than doing it in the nursing home. And Rupert wouldn't leave Charles alone was on his lap the whole time. And when you listen to Charles reading those poems, he sounds quite frail and so on. And I, I assumed it was because he was quite old, but it was actually because Rupert wouldn't leave him alone and he didn't want to let Rupert hop his lap because they were inseparable. Um, and every time they did a recording, it just picked up the purring of the cat. So they ended up doing take after take after take. <laughs> um, and in the end, they said, you're going to have to move the cat because all we can hear is, is the cat purring. So I think that adds another edge to listening to those to those poems. And also, I'm fascinated with when a writer writes, do they write in their own voice? Do they hear their voice reading out the words as they're writing? And I'm from the north of England. Um, when you hear Charles reading his poems, the resonance, the rhythm, the rhyme, the tone, the ups and the downs, the crescendos and so on is quite different, are quite different than when I read them in my own head, in my language, in, in my in my dialect. So I think that's really interesting, you know, about how does it reflect his Cornish background? He never lost that Cornish lilt. And I think quite a lot. There's, there's often words, Cornish words that are that are dropped through the um, the poetry language as well. So there's a lot there about his Cornish background. Right. 
So he used Cornish dialect in some of his poems? Yes, not not to the extent of, you know, it's, it's unless you spoke Cornish or, or understood the dialect, you, you, you'd lose yourself in it. But odd, odd words he would use, um, terminology that um, we, we wouldn't probably come across on a, on a daily basis unless you lived in Cornwall, but just odd words. So in some of the collections you'll find with poems, there'll be an asterisk and it'll explain, oh, that, that means this. You know, right. so there's one, and I've completely forgotten what the term is now. But it was it was for the noise that cattle make. So, right. You know, it's a, it's a Cornish term for it. So it's quite a, quite a lovely, again, Cornish rural kind of sentiment, really, to his work. Did he write about Cornish places? Yes, he did. If you travel to Launceston, and I'd really recommend any of you who have the chance to come to Launceston do. It's a fascinating town. There are five or six. Um, locations just within the town centre itself that he wrote his poems about. So one is Eagle One and Eagle Two, which is a very simplistic poem again, but beautifully written. Um, which is about there's a house in Launceston. Every everything I'm going to tell you seems to have a backstory. So there's a beautiful house, a Georgian house in Launceston, just outside the the castle grounds, um, that a chap apparently won the lottery that was around or a lottery. Um, back in in Georgian times and decided to build this fabulous house. And on the gatepost, the brick gateposts outside the house, are two white stone eagles. One looks one way and one looks the other. And there were all sorts of tales about these eagles that um, at night, at midnight, um, they used to fly around Launceston and catch the children that weren't asleep. So it's a good way of getting your children to go to sleep and not start getting up and down in the night. So um, Charles wrote a poem about Eagle One and Eagle Two, he wrote some lovely ones about the castle as well, this beautiful Norman castle. Comedy ones as well, Colonel Fazakerley, um, is a is an example of real fun in the poetry. And I think sometimes that, you know, the fact that he was a primary teacher, he knew what made people smile, what made children smile, what encouraged children to learn and, and engage. And there's quite a few examples of that in and around the town. There's one, however, that, that's not in that... Um, ilk at all and that's Angel Hill and Angel Hill is everywhere in Launceston is either up or down it's it's on a, a very steep um, kind of promontory and Angel Hill is about his uh, relationship um, or his um, reaction and friendship with a, another sailor in the war and it's very poignant and I won't spoil it for your readers and your listeners right. um, but yeah have a look at Angel Hill and that kind of knocks on the head any idea that he just wrote simplistic poems for children or heavyweight balladic christian writing there's a real mixture and a real depth to the work that he did but yeah in and around launceston he talks about saint thomas water which is where he was born um and actually where next the church next to where he's buried as well so there's lots of landmarks buildings and landscapes that he writes about but he also brings in some, not just comedic, but also fascinating characters into his work as well that were based on real characters that he knew in and around the town and, and the area. Right. Why isn't he better known? I remember in the 80s uh, when I was at school, I was uh, taught poetry from Ted Hughes and Betjamin, but I don't remember coming across his name at all at that time. No, I think you you may well have come across his poems when you were at primary school. So quite a lot of teachers, primary teachers, would use his poems, especially Timothy Winters, 
there aren't many teachers who didn't use Timothy Winters because of the rhyme and the rhythm and the pace and the description and the fact it's about children as well. Um, but you're right. I think what happened was he became very focused on his writing. He was not very gregarious. He was very determined in his writing and he was very proud of his writing. He wasn't a recluse at all. Um, he spent, as we said, his, his career teaching. And we have stories about um, when he'd come home from teaching, which any of us have, that have done teaching, it's an exhausting thing to do. You know, it's a whole day of sort of performing and, and engaging children and performing to and engaging with children and so on. He'd come home um, to Cypress Well, which was the house that he lived in for 50 years with his mum until she died, where I'm actually sitting at the moment. I'm sitting at his desk in his study looking out over his garden, which is a huge privilege and a, and a lovely place to be generally, but also to have this conversation. And he'd come in here, sit in his um, kind of upright wing back chair. His mum, when she was alive, would bring him a piece of cake or a scone or a, um, a bit of uh, heavy cake and a cup of tea. Um, and he'd have a snooze for a little while. And he used to say that his creativity would start to bubble when he was in that kind of semi-sleeping, just relaxing kind of um, <laughs> state that he'd be in. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's, it's quite an interesting place in which to be, you know. Um, and then he'd wake up and that's when he'd start writing straight away. He'd be straight at it. Um, I think he, he was probably a bit difficult to live with because he was so intense in what he was doing. But I think he was so into his writing. So he frequently did um, poetry tours. So he went with Roger McGough to Australia. Um, he did lots of teaching at the University in Exeter in the English department. Um, I think it was more of guided, constructed, sort of constructed um, activity that he did. And and I think he was quite quiet. He was a very private person as well. So that's probably why he wasn't out there. I'm not saying Ted Hughes and so on were out there promoting themselves all the time, but he was quite gentle about his promotion, actually. And I think that's right. probably what this is. So as a trust, you know, we know the depth and breadth of his work. We recognise the the legacy of his work and the work that we do around um, community engagement and outreach work, both working with not just young people, but also people from local communities and artists and writers and so on, that, that his work is applicable and usable in so many ways to encourage creativity and so on. So I almost think his legacy is not to be as necessarily thus far to be as famous as um Etcherman or, you know, I don't know, Wordsworth or any of the others, you know, Ted Hughes or similar. Um, but it's about the legacy of his work. But if you speak to any of the key 20th century writers of of not just his generation, but after and, you know, who, who came slightly before him, they cite Charles and his work as absolutely instrumental in their own development. Simon Armitage, Caroline Duffy, Andrew Motion, who's one of our um, patrons and so on. They identify Charles's work and, yes, the simplicity, but also the, the incredible craft of his work as well. So when you look at some of those really simple poems, the work that went into them, and if you go to the archive or you look at the archive material we have, you begin to recognise the work that went into those simple poems. It wasn't just a case of, 
oh, I've just whizzed that down after my cup of tea and my heavy cake. You know, there it is. It's good. It'll go. Lots of rewrites, lots of working on the words and so on. So, yeah, it's really interesting. But as a trust, we really want to promote the work of Charles, both for you know benefit of local communities and also creative communities to help them develop their own you know skills and and creative opportunities but also to raise his profile again really it's 20 years next year since he died in 2003 um so it's almost like we're getting to that point where people are starting to reflect a bit more on on his life and work and legacy as well so one of the trust's responsibilities is maintaining his house, which I presume is open to visitors. Is is that correct? It is. What we do, it's, it's quite a small house. It's very dinky. Um, so it's kind of two up, two down. Um, so we have a, a slight limitation. We're, we're not like, you know, a national trust property or something like that or, or a big national museum where we can get thousands through the door. But we open the house on open days and special events and when it's our festival and so on. And we work very closely with the town council and the chamber of commerce recently um, on a heritage open, a set of heritage weekends. Um, and we've got heritage open days coming up, which is um, a national program that runs in September in, in the UK. So we open then as general openings, but we also run events here, separate events, which would be, um, you know, bespoke poetry evenings or readings. So in the in March, so in the spring earlier this year, and this is a different plug, really. Um, there's a Times best-selling writer called Patrick Gale, who I'm sure yourself and, and, and lots of your listeners and readers will know. And he just released this year a book called Mother's Boy, which is a faction, I think they call it now. So it's not biography and it's not fiction. It's a mixture of the two, um, which is about Charles's early life through his time in Launceston as a, as a child growing up through the war and his returning to Launceston after the war um, and we ran a series of events here in Cyprus well um, which is Charles's house Patrick ran um, some kind of I don't know what you'd like to call them really we had coffee mornings and soirees and very intimate events partly because of Covid restrictions but also because we wanted to just explore kind of kind of the personal side of, of Charles as well but we have writers and musicians and um, other creative um, people who come and they stay in residence here as well so you can stay here if you're none of the above as well so we, we offer Cyprus well for cultural stays if people want to, to stay it sleeps three people so if you're interested you can sleep in Charles's bedroom and so on um, and all the furniture with the exception of the beds we did change the beds um, but the furniture is the original furniture that Charles had here in his home. So you can visit for open days. You can come to events, so musical events, poetry evenings. Um, you can come and stay as well. So there's lots of opportunities to come and experience the space. And it's a lovely space, I have to say, very quiet and Brilliant. quite reflective space as well. And because we've got Charles's things round and about, um, it does feel very, very special, I have to say. So uh, if someone wanted to um, experience his writing, what book would you recommend? I think it depends what you're looking for. And I'm not trying to judge the question like a politician. Um, but if you were looking specifically for children's poetry, um, there's the collected poems for children that I'd recommend. And that gives you a kind of a real kind of romp through lots of different types of his children's poetry. 
and that is suitable for adults and children as well. I don't want you to think that's just for children. And then there's the collected works as well of poems. Um, there's been a number of different versions have come out um, over the years, multiple ones when he was still alive, um, that you'll, you'll find on a books, to be honest. Um, and one's been brought right up until he died in 2003. So that's kind of the last edition. But interestingly, and this is kind of how I came across Abe Books, really, is that there are only two books of Charles's which are still currently in um, in print. So one's the children's anthology and one's the collected works um, of adult poems. Um, but there are multiple. I mean, he was an editor a lot of the times of, of anthologies of verse. Um, he did a lot of work around sort of small pamphlets. So you can you can on a books, in fact, um, you can pick up multiple tiny thin pamphlets right the way through to big collected versions of both his poems, but also ones that he wrote um, with, with colleagues and, and, and fellow writers as well. So there's a mixture. I I like both the collected poems and also the children's poetry anthology because I think you can dip in and out of both of them and, and get something different as you do with poetry depending on your mood and what sort of day it is and you know what you're looking for um, but some of your kind of more um, detailed readers may be interested in looking at some of the more specific versions so there's one called Survivors Leave which readers describe a lot of it's, it's about his poetry connected with his experiences of war in the Second World War through the Navy. Um, there's one called Secret Destinations. You know, the list kind of goes on both in terms of children's books, but also adult books as well. So once you start, I can guarantee you, you will get hooked on his poetry because there's so much variety in it. And it's beautiful. I think I have two favourites, really. Um, not in terms of the books, but in terms of individual poems. Um, one is Timothy Winters because it, the descriptions just make me smile. And that's read on the Poetry Archive, which you might have, have heard, Richard. And hearing Charles read it is, is lovely. And they asked the question, was he a real boy? And I'll leave you to um, listen to the Poetry Archive to see what his answer was. And then the other one that's my favourite is Eden Rock, which describes him looking across a, a small pool of water and his parents, his mum and dad and their old dog called Jack, who used to um, love his dad to bits and follow his dad all the time, were waiting for him on the other side of the river or the water, however you imagine it. And the, the imagery is exquisite. It really is. Um, and that describes him passing over from life to death and what it was like. And his mum and dad are basically having a picnic on the other side and they're beckoning him to come over and the very simplistic way it's described that they're having a picnic and he describes what they're doing what the mum's wearing what his father's wearing and so on is beautiful absolutely lovely so yeah i'm i'm a huge charles causey fan um i think his work is eminently readable by all ages all backgrounds in all moods depending on what sort of day it is how you're feeling and so on and I think you could probably spend your whole year whole life reading Causley's poems and and never get bored or never think oh, I've read enough now I've I've seen everything I need to see brilliant so um you have a festival coming up perhaps you can tell us about some of the things happening at the festival sure so 
This has been something that's been developing over the last kind of 12 years or so. And we had a fabulous um, few festivals just before before COVID. Um, and then when COVID hit, um, our festivals are usually in June or July. So we weren't long into the first kind of uh, round of COVID, if you like. And we were one of the first organisations to look at a digital festival. Um, and then quite a lot of other, I'm not saying they just followed our lead, but, you know, we, we did a lot of support work with other organisations about digital festivals. And we found that was quite a useful thing to do, having a digital option as well. So this year we've we've got a digital element as well. So that's the reason for me telling you this. Last year we did a hybrid festival where we had some in-person events and some digital. And that's where we've gone this year. We've got a mix this year, though, because we've been working very closely with local communities and also with English Heritage in particular that manage the castle site. And we've been working with them as they've been doing a total reinterpretation of the castle. So they have all sorts of um, exhibitions and interpretation panels and so on. And we've worked with them to find we touched on the landscape, the very local landscape earlier in this conversation. There are so many points of interest around the town and around the castle that we've managed to get bits of Charles's poetry on each of the interpretation panels that are going to be around, well, they are now around the site of the castle. So we're having a whole day on Saturday, the 30th of July, which is a community-based festival where we have poetry picnics, we have musicians, we have storytellers, we have actors, we have performances, we have the town crier, we have tours of the castle, we have the town's mayor arriving, we have pop choirs, so we local choirs, local bands, lots of local engagement with Charles and his work and so on. And that's on the Saturday. On the Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we have a mixture of arts and cultural activities in addition to the community day. We have guided tours at Cypress Well. We have events at Cypress Well. We have a poetry tour led by Dr. David Devaney, who's a creative writing lecturer from Falmouth University, who's doing a poetry tour of Launceston. So picking up those places, those venues, those locations that Charles wrote about. We've got keynote readings from um, poets Varney Anthony Capaldeo and Pascal Pettit. Um, we've got a number of different events that look at Charles's work in more detail, for example, around poetry and place. Um, we've also, we're doing a screening of an interview that we did around the release of Mother's Boy by Patrick Gale, where the chair of our organisation, the Causey Trustee in Tunbridge, interviews Patrick and has a chat in Cyprus well actually about Charles Causey, the influence of Charles on Patrick's work um, and also about the book itself. And then we've also got um, a number of workshops that we're running. So we have a poet, um, Katrina Naomi, that we've worked very closely with over the years. She's going to be running a digital workshop as well. And we have in and around Launceston, a series of art exhibition, exhibitions in Launceston shops. And we also have some artist studios on the high street, as well as a number of events that are happening in the town square and also in the town streets themselves. 
And then we also have a digital festival on the Saturday where we have a number of different things from workshops, which I've mentioned, digital readings, interviews, what we've called causely shorts, which aren't actually his shorts, but they're, you know, people talking about their relationships. Um, yeah. with Charles and the influence of his writing and so on. So there's, you know, there's a really packed programme of local activity, tours, poetry, writing, storytelling, promotion. Um, and we've even got um, events where there's going to be history tours about Launceston, about the castle and so on from English heritage staff who will be telling more about the development of the town and so on. But we've also got a, a, a walk in the afternoon on Sunday, um, which is going to be mixing kind of the history of Launceston with the ghostly tales of Launceston. Um, and that's with Karen Bessant, who's a paranormal investigator as well, but also um, an avid historian. So we, we've got a mixture of events through the days morning evening and in during the day as well they're in various venues but you can find out more we've got online programming and you can book your tickets online and what we're doing this time because we kind of appreciate the position that many people are in they want to engage with things but economic times are quite tough all of the events in and around the castle grounds and the community day are free and there's no charge at all for all the events that are going on a couple of the events which are workshops, which are very heavily subsidised by the Arts Council um, from whence we got a lot of our funding this year. Um, that's one of the only ones that we charge for. And again, it's very heavily subsidised. But we're doing a, a pay what you can programme. So if people are able to pay or give a donation, they can. If they aren't able, we want people to come along and just really enjoy being involved and, and feeling the buzz of being in Launceston at such an exciting time, really. And all details can be found on our website. And even though we're asking for, you know, to pay as, as what you can if set of events, we are asking people to book tickets so that we've got a sense of how many people are coming and so on for COVID safety as well. Right. Yeah, it sounds like you've got an awful lot going on far, far beyond just poetry. Definitely. And, you know, that's the thing. When you think of Charles as a person, he was a playwright. He was a musician. He was a teacher. He was an engager. So where I'm sitting at the moment, if you go up Ridgegrove Hill, which is where the house is, the house next door, the people have lived there for 30 odd years and they knew Charles really well. And Charles often used to look after their two little boys. He'd take them down to the supermarket. They'd go on little nature walks and things like this. And so at the heart of what the trust does, it's about engaging people with creativity. It's about giving people opportunities that they otherwise would not have access to. Um, and that's what really makes our hearts sing in the trust. And Charles is such a, a fabulous writer and such a fabulous figure. Um, and all the years I've been involved with the trust and, you know, usually somebody, people are very good at complaining, aren't they, or finding fault. And I have yet to hear one bad thing said about Charles Causley. And um, bear in mind, this is a small town that we're in where people knew him quite well, actually. They, they knew him throughout his life or for parts of his life, you know. Um, and a lady I met yesterday, so we had a really exciting day yesterday where Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall came to Launceston. And I was chatting away to um, the Duchess of Cornwall for quite a while, actually, because she was particularly interested in, in Charles and his poetry. And she even had his collected poems. So I was very pleased about that. Um, 
But later on in the day, a lady came to see me um, and she said she used to volunteer in the care home where he was at the end of his life, the nursing home. And she said, I used to go in and see him every Tuesday. He was an absolute gentleman. And right at the end, he was a really creative soul. And that, I think, sums him up, you know, and maybe that goes back to the question you had earlier about why isn't he better known? And I think it was because he was very understated in himself as well. Right. Um, so royalty yesterday, Nicola, and me today. Mm. So a bit of a come mm. down for you, I'm afraid. Not at all. Not at all. It's been an absolute oh. pleasure. It's been great. And it's always lovely because in my day job, as you can imagine, we've got the festival coming up. Today I've been talking about bar supplies and have we got the brochures in all the right places they need to be and so on and so forth. And right. to have a conversation with you about Charles and his work and what it means to me, but what his work and his his legacy means to so many people is is a real opportunity. So thank you, Richard. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Your passion comes through loud and clear. Um, one last question. I am question. very passionate. <laughs> You are passionate. One last question. Um, what book or books are you currently reading? Mm. So I've got to tell you a bit of a cheat on this one, because um, when I've got a lot on, um, I tend to listen to audio books. And when I've got a lot on and my mind is absolutely whizzing, um, I will put on a book that I know will send me to sleep not because it's a boring book not because it's badly read or badly written but because it's comforting I know the story and that will be one of the early Harry Potters so at the moment I'm listening to the Chamber of Secrets read by Stephen Fry (laughs) and Stephen's voice is I don't know I'm calling him Stephen I don't know him personally um, but his voice is lovely and the way he reads it is just beautiful and I love the Harry Potter series I genuinely do and my daughter is very lucky that she's 19 she's just gone off to college and she's just got a job in September working at um, Warner Brothers Studios in Watford so she's exceptionally excited about that so Harry Potter would be one at the moment it's the Chamber of Secrets but when I'm wanting to and that's not because I wouldn't read it out of time because I do as well but The one that I'm reading again at the moment is, and I'm not trying to just plug this because it's about Charles, but it's Mother's Boy by Patrick Gale. And I read it before it was published, loved it then. And it is another exquisitely written book, I have to say. Um, And the descriptions of Launston and the descriptions of Charles have made him jump off the page for me as well. So they're the two that I'm listening at. So I don't listen to Mother's Boy when I'm going to sleep, even though I've got it on a, on Audible, in fact, um, because I, I can't switch off and I keep listening and it'll be three o'clock in the morning and I'll right. still be going. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's Harry Potter with Stephen Fry reading if I need to just relax and, and go to sleep. But at the moment, the, the, the reading during the day is Patrick Gale's Mother's Boy. Right. I've read every single word of the Harry Potter books out loud to my children twice wow wow they're they're fabulous books absolutely fabulous my daughter's absolutely hooked um and so she cannot wait to start this job in september i have to say she she can tell you which chapter certain passages will be from that's that's how much of a fan and she's 19 but you know she's the same she listens to harry potter when she's going to sleep as well so yeah amazing absolutely fabulous books in awe of that writer as well. Indeed, yeah. indeed. 
Okay, that's all we have time for today. Thank you to Nicola Nuttall for joining us. Thank you, Richard. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. Nicola is the acting director of the Charles Causley Trust. The Trust's Causley Festival of Arts and Literature is coming up soon on July 29th to the 31st. And you can learn more about the Trust and Charles Causley and the festival by going to causelytrust.org. Now, Causley is spelt C-A-U-S-L-E-Y. So causelytrust.org. My name is Richard Davis and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast and we'll see you all again soon.